everyone. I am really excited to introduce you today to Sarah Moore. Uh, she is the founder of Dandelion Seeds Positive Parenting, an author, speaker, armchair neuroscientist, and most importantly, a mama. She's a lifelong learner with training in child development, trauma recovery, interpersonal neurobiology, and improv comedy. As a certified master trainer in conscious parenting, she helps bring joy, ease, and connection back to families around the globe. Her work has been featured in HuffPost, Scary Mummy, Motherly, Her View from Home, and The Natural Parent Magazine, among others. Based in Colorado, Sarah and her family spend much of their time world schooling. She speaks French and eats Italian food like a pro. Her heart's desire is to bring greater peace and healing to the world through loving and respectful parenting. Welcome, Sarah. It is so great to have you. Thank you so much for having me, Mia. It's a joy to be here. I uh, was so happy to, you know, connect with you. I have been following your work for a few years, and a lot of times I would refer the clients that I work with because your website has so many resources, and you bring such a unique perspective uh, to parenting. So when I saw that you have a brand new book about discipline, I was like, oh my gosh, I have, I have to speak with you. Peaceful discipline which is, um, I'm going to ask you a little bit about that book and why why did you choose to write a book about discipline specifically. But before I do that, I would love for you to maybe tell us a little bit, for those who don't know you, how did you come to this work of conscious parenting? What, uh, like, did you always know that that is what you want to do or what brought you into this this field? Thank you for asking. It's a great question because we all have our why for why we're in this work. For me, it was a couple of things. Number one, it was my intuition. I knew that I wanted to have healing in my own life. I wanted to break some cycles. I wanted to change some patterns. And I wanted to raise my child in a way that felt emotionally safe to her so that she could thrive and be the best version of herself without having to heal from her childhood. Excuse me, tickle in my throat. And then the other reason I did it, I actually include in the introduction of Peaceful Discipline at my daughter's four month oh. check when she was just teeny tiny, she was just a little baby. I brought her in for her checkup and the doctor looked at me and said, How's sleep? And I yeah. said, Well, you know, she's only four months old, so she's still waking up every couple of hours. But I am happy to support her whenever she needs me, day or night. And holistically, she's getting plenty of sleep. We're doing great. And this too shall pass. And he looked me in the eye and he said, You're ridiculous. Don't ever go to her when she cries. She's manipulating you. Let me know when you're ready to get serious about parenting. Oh my God. And my nervous system, I froze. Of course, you know, in, in the nervous system that we've got fight or flight or freeze or fawn, I absolutely froze through the rest of the appointment. But by the time I went home, I was so angry that I started yeah. researching child development and whether we should be responsive to our children. Yeah. Are there benefits to picking them up and supporting them when they're crying or otherwise? And yes, of course, we now have an incredible amount of research from around the world about everything from brain development to attachment theory to you name it that says, yes, respond to the child. Mm -hmm. So he was working with some very old information, right. but he, I now actually have incredible gratitude for him 
because I became so passionate about starting to educate and inform other parents that it really is good to be responsive to our children, not only when they're babies, but also when they're older, that Mm -hmm. that really became the foundation for all of my work and the credentials that I chose to pursue because I didn't want to be just one random mama on the internet. I wanted to be able to say, here's how I actually know these things. And I want to be able to validate everything that I recommend to people. That is amazing. I mean, first of all, like it's such a shock to me, like to hear that uh, a pediatrician would give that advice right now, like after all this research that we have on the internet. But it does remind me with I've had a similar experience when my son was a baby, and that was like 16 years ago. Uh, And I was told that I had to, you know, uh, let him cry it out and cry himself to sleep. And I was like, there's no way. I would never discuss my parenting problems with a pediatrician ever again, but uh, that that was, but it's amazing for me to hear that this still happens, you know, and it still is, is the advice that's been given by authority. And I think that's what becomes so confusing for parents and for moms, because we trust pediatricians, we trust doctors, and, you know, we think that they're giving us the best advice. So it kind of gets confusing. So I'm glad that you're doing this work. And I know that like with you have an amazing training, by the way, uh, intern person on neurobiology is one of my favorite. Um, I've started that course, uh, but I've never really finished it. But I've learned with other courses from Dr. Dan Siegel. He's been like one of my favorite um, experts. But um, you've done a lot. So that is amazing. And so for now, coming to write this book about discipline, what inspired you to write specifically about discipline? Because there are a lot of books out there. There are a lot of, as you said, research, but peaceful discipline. I love the title, first of all. Like you never think of discipline, you know, in terms of peaceful, like we have positive discipline or whatever, but peaceful discipline, is it even possible to have peaceful discipline Yeah, you know, as far as how I wrote the book, essentially, and this is going to sound weird to some people, and I'm perfectly willing to agree, it feels a little bit weird. But essentially, I basically received the book, you know, it was just in my spirit. And it was, you know, it was given to me, and I just did the work of typing. So it felt very, very easy to write, it was a gift to me, but I don't claim the credit for it, you know, as far as let me just share this message. Yes, I certainly have the training, I've got the background or whatever. But this was just a story that flowed through me. And I consider myself just the vehicle for it. And to your point, I intentionally chose the title peaceful discipline, because you're absolutely right, we hear the word discipline, And even those of us who are trained in conscious parenting often have sort of a visceral reaction to the word, and it's a negative one. Mm -hmm. It's, oh, that means punishment or consequences or whatever. But when we get back to the root meaning of discipline, we know that it means to teach. And I intentionally paired discipline with the word peaceful, because we know in the subtitle of the book, it's Peaceful Discipline, Story Teaching, Brain Science, and Better Behavior. We know from brain science that the only way we can learn and the only way that our children can learn is when they feel emotional safety. Mm. If they 
feel emotionally safe, essentially the limbic system, part of the brain that is in charge of assessing safety around us at all times, any given day, that part takes over when children are fearful mm. and doesn't let them learn because their only job in that moment when they're feeling scared is to figure out how to feel safe again. So right. if we go back to peaceful discipline, it's a reminder not only for us, for how we want to be teaching, we want to teach peacefully, but it's also a reminder of how we want our children to perceive discipline. It has to feel peaceful to their nervous system for teaching to quote unquote work. Right. That I mean, that sounds uh, amazing, you know, talking about emotional safety. And uh, I, I believe in all that. But I do, like you said, uh, discipline does have that visceral uh, reaction. And I feel like even for parents who have been doing conscious parenting or mindful parenting, or, you know, it just always like when I talk about discipline, it just feels like I need to do something that changes my child's behavior. And it just, it feels like what, what is uh, ingrained in our belief, it's a negative thing. It is not a positive thing. And it's kind of hard to get our head wrapped around the idea of just teaching and not having to react or do something to the child. So I love that you're doing this. And like you said, the subtitle, um, See, I don't have the book, and I have to say this. I regret not having ordered it, uh, but because I live overseas, it does take a bit of time for the book to come all the way from the U.S. I'm glad that there's a Kindle version that's coming up in January, and I think you're working on the audio version too, right? Yes. That makes it very accessible to people internationally. But you do talk in the book about storytelling and uh, using that in discipline. I am. Very excited to for you to tell us a little bit about how to use that because when I talk to parents, one of the hardest concepts for them, well, well, how do I discipline my child? And a lot of parents they say, well, I've read you know the the brain science books about discipline, like no drama discipline or stuff like this, but they still don't know how to apply that in their life because it is, um, you know, I think it takes time to really. Um, kind of integrate that information and really be able to apply it and know what to do with it in like an everyday situation. So if you can tell us a little bit, how do you use storytelling? How do you uh, use peaceful methods and discipline? Absolutely. Great question. So yeah, story teaching is a term that I came up with because we know about the brain that we all have a part of the brain called the hippocampus. And if people aren't interested in what that's called, that's totally okay. There's no quiz at the end that says what's the hippocampus. But we know that our brain is a natural storyteller and natural story seeker. Our mm. brains store memories as stories. So when people say, oh, forget this, I'm not creative, or I can never come up with a story, don't mm -hmm. worry, brain is already doing this work for you. So it doesn't have to be difficult. Mm -hmm. So I actually don't even get into the story teaching part of the book until about page 149 or so. Because the first 148 pages are about how to create emotional safety with the okay. child. Well, let's so, let's talk. Let's pause and talk about that for a little bit. Yeah, how do you create emotional safety with the child? Do you have to have emotional safety 
with yourself as a parent before you do that with a child? Yeah, absolutely. It, it does need to start here. We need to figure out what we need in order to be peaceful. Because guaranteed, every time we feel triggered or upset by our child, it's because we, the adult, have some sort of unmet need. And it has nothing to do with the child. The child might be the one that brings it out in us in a certain situation. But the child isn't triggering something that isn't already there. So for example, let's say that I, and I think I have an example like this in the book, let's say that it's time for dinner and I'm calling my child, hey, it's time to come for dinner, time to come, time to come. My child is busy doing something and not responding to me. I might start to get angry because my child is not listening to what I'm saying. However, The real work happens in here because I may have some sort of limiting belief that Mm. is beneath the surface about whether or not I am worthy of being heard. I am maybe concerned about whether my voice matters. I might be worried about, am I important enough for anybody to pay attention to me? Mm. We develop limiting beliefs generally between the ages of two and seven, some researchers say between two and nine, but we develop them when we're very, very little. And unless we directly address and heal those limiting beliefs, we will carry them forward into every interaction that we have, and especially those with our children, Mm. because our children are often the ages that we were when we developed those beliefs about ourselves. So it's essentially a mirror. Right. And look at this and say, this is actually a bigger message about me and what I am needing Mm. than it is about the fact that my child isn't coming to the dinner table right now. So if I can say things, and it's more than just self-affirmations, I can tell myself all day long, my voice matters, I'm good enough, whatever, that might be part of the solution. But if I don't do the work to really figure out why do I believe this? And what do I want to believe instead? And I've got some tips in the book for how to do this big, deeper work. I will keep having the same triggers over and over and over. Mm. And along with that, I have a process in the book that I call the HUG process. It's an acronym, H-U-G, just like HUG. Oh, that's lovely. Thank you. And when we feel triggered in the moment like that, the H stands for hold your reaction. Just pause for a minute. In this moment, I can get curious about what am I feeling? What am I needing? What's going on for me? Mm. In many cases, it might be something like, hmm, continuing that same example. It's almost dinner time. Odds are pretty good that I'm hungry too. And if I'm hungry, I am more likely to be reactive. Mm. So maybe I need to grab a quick snack while I'm making dinner so that I am you know, regulated, my blood sugar is regulated, and I'm likely to be peaceful. There's always a need, there's something that I can address if I do that H of hold the reaction. Mm. The U stands for understand the child's perspective. Mm. Now, our children are not contrary to popular belief, our children are not looking for ways to make our lives difficult. Our kids don't wake up in the morning and say, how can I ruin mom's day today? They don't do that. 
Instead, children are simply being their own person, and that takes their time and energy. If my child is, for example, busy watching TV and not hearing my voice because she is laser focused on her show, perhaps the way that I can understand her perspective is to say, you know what, that's her favorite show, and it's five minutes until the end, and right now there's a really exciting scene happening. What can I do to be empathetic and say, if I were her, I'd want to see how that turns out too. Mm -hmm. So there's always something going on for the child that is just as valid for them as our need is for us. Mm -hmm. And we have to stop pretending that our need automatically supersedes theirs just because we feel it in our own body. Right. Finally, the G stands for give them grace to be human. Everybody messes up sometimes. I am an adult. I make mistakes every single day. Why would I expect anything less of my child? My child is going to make mistakes too. So if I can say, you know what, maybe you're tired or hungry or thirsty or in the middle of doing something that's important to you. So how can I understand that you also are human and worthy of compassion in this moment, Mm -hmm. just like I am too? Mm. So that process is one of multiple tools that I have in the first 148 pages of how we can find peace within. Additionally, I do have um, many common reactions or punishments or consequences mm. that adults have typically either received themselves or been told this is the way you need to train your child. And I get into the science of why a lot of them may seem to work in the short term, but how they actually can backfire in the long term, not with judgment, not with shaming, but with compassion from one parent, me to another, you to say, your feelings make sense, my feelings make sense. And these are simply old stories that we didn't have the research about that we do now. But here's a better path forward and how we can teach our children and connect with them in ways that will not only stick better in their brains, so we don't have to keep repeating ourselves all the time, but that also feel more peaceful to both parent and child in the moment. Wow. Yeah, I love that uh, hug process that you just mentioned. Um, Hold your reaction, understand the child's perspective, and give them grace to be human. Um, and it sounds like the book is full of uh, little tools because I think that's actually one of the hardest things for parents to do is that pause, that one, you know, taking that time to reflect or breathe be- before you react. And this is a lot more than just like, hey, take a deep breath and then respond. This is an actual process that um, I think it, it actually is very powerful, you know, reflecting on what's happening to us, understanding what's going on for the child, and then having that grace uh, and compassion. And I love what you said about also having compassion to our own ideas, because a lot of us grew up with certain beliefs or were treated in certain ways. And I think culturally depending on where you are these beliefs can be still like prevalent in society and I wanted to ask you I don't know if now is a good time sometimes when I work with parents and they realize like yes 
I don't want to punish anymore, or I've already punished and I know this doesn't work. So I'm trying to do something different with my child. And I see there's positive, uh, like it's working, but then you go to a school. And I think a lot of teachers recently um, are learning and they're changing their ways. But sometimes you come across an old school teacher, just like coming across an old school um, pediatrician. But I feel like uh, the school is one of the tricky parts, you know, because you're sending your child to that school every day. And if you have a teacher, which one of the parents I was working with recently is in that situation with her little uh, with her little kid, is that the teacher actually um, a little old school and probably is using these punishment stuff in the school so the child is naturally acting out and then the teacher uh, is having conversation with the parents about, well, do you punish that? Like he needs to, by four years old, the kid is only four years old. Like he needs to know right from wrong. You know, are you punishing him? He needs consequences. And I'm like, that is, uh, that is so hard because I know as a parent is like, this is where my worries were um, all the time. So do you have any advice for parents to how to talk to teachers? how to talk to, um, I don't know if this is something you do or if you have any tips about that, but it just, I I might be putting you on the spot here. (laughs) You are welcome to put me on the spot. I will always do the best I can with whatever question you need. So yes, there is actually another book recommendation. It's not my own, but it's a, a fantastic book for educators. It's called The Why Behind Classroom Behaviors. And it's written by doctors Jamie Chavis and Ashley Taylor. And it helps educators in a very, very actionable way understand what is going on beneath the children's behaviors in the classroom and how they can teach, even in a big, chaotic group setting, still teach connection rather than these punitive methods that some of these old school teachers use. So it's a brilliant and I highly recommend it. The why behind classroom behavior. Okay. I'll definitely, um, yeah, have recommend that book, but if it, let's say that the parent cannot, you know, change the mind of the teacher, is it okay if the parent just continue to do this work at home and just help the kid maybe understand that this is what this is what's happening at at school because sometimes i mean i would personally would like to look for a different school you know if it's not working for the child but if you don't have that option and that school is your only option and that teacher is your only option um so i think if the parent continue to do this work at home and try to help the child maybe process their feeling, would that be enough, at least, like, a good place to start? Yes, number one, that parent should absolutely keep doing the work of peaceful discipline Mm -hmm. at home, peaceful parenting, because long-term, the child's relationship is with the parent, it's with the family unit. The teacher is going to be, you know, a blip on the radar in the child's life. And the child needs to have at least one person, ideally 
two or more, but at least one person on whom they can count to feel safe, seen, soothed, and secure. Mm. And in order to have what's called a secure attachment, that is based on the work of Drs. Dan Siegel and Tina Payne Bryson. And we know this about attachment. So there are going to be people in the world who are going to try to mess with the child's self-worth, you know, all of the things that you alluded to. But if the adult, the primary adult or adults in the child's life can help them process those emotions and give them what some people called a soft place to land at home, Mm. that child will benefit so much. In fact, I have a story or a section about stories for healing. Mm. Because what we want our children to do is to be able to create what's called a coherent narrative mm-hmm. about the situations in their life that are tricky and what they need to do in order to turn stress into something they can learn from mm. as opposed to stress into toxic stress that has all sorts right. of negative ramifications. They have to be able to make sense of what's happened mm-hmm. with themselves and certainly at age four it would be alongside a trusted peaceful caregiver Mm -hmm. so that they don't have to carry around that stress to the point that it becomes toxic stress and then they develop those limiting beliefs about themselves that I was talking about earlier today right yes stay the course parents keep being all the more peaceful and all the more supportive and by all means if you can have a conversation with the teacher you can stand up for yourself just because the teacher has the title of teacher right. doesn't make them any more important as a human than you are as the parent. Your job right. is to advocate for your child and say, I'm not okay with this. And here's the research. Mm. And you can substantiate that not only from the things I have in peaceful discipline, but from so many other wonderful resources this, yeah. these days. So you get to be your child's voice in this important work with educators or any other person in a position of authority who might be working with some really outdated information. Yeah, thank you. I love what you said, because I think it's really important to empower parents because in the past, like 50 years with all this advice, I feel like it took the power from parents, you know, like parents, you have to do this and you have to, you know, using whatever these, uh, strategies that create disconnection, you know, between the parent and the child. So I would love for you to talk a little bit about storytelling. You mentioned we can use storytelling to heal whatever stress is happening with the child, but you have three kinds of storytelling that you use. And I think you talk about uh, in the book. Could you tell us a little bit about how do you use storytelling and what are the different kinds? Yes, there are three different times that we can use storytelling. And the good news is they cover everything. So there's never a time when stories aren't an option, and I'm going to make it really easy for people. The first type is proactive storytelling or story teaching. It's when something is going to happen that we want to help prepare our child for. Mm. Let's say it's the first day of school. Let's say it's the first time our child goes to a birthday party. Let's say it's the first day of high school. The good news is that this stuff never expires. It works for us too, even as adults. But it is some sort of sneak preview that we can give the child about what it is like, likely to be like when they experience this thing. Mm-hmm. So let's say, I'll make up an example quickly. Um, maybe the child is going to a family wedding for the mm-hmm. first time. And they're fairly little, 
Well, it can be problematic if we have no discussion with the child, all of a sudden we're at the wedding and the child decides to start singing in the middle of it. You know, it'd be like, oh, right. that's, you can't do that. You know, it's, you have to be quiet here. Well, in order to help encourage the kind of behavior we want to see, we can tell a story ahead of time. It might be fact-based, it might be fictional, it might be something that we pull off the bookshelf from, you know, mm. children, whatever. So we don't have to be infinitely creative. We can be really, really simplistic about it and say, I would love to tell you about what weddings are like. And you mm. can be factual about it. But the more detail you can give the child, the more directly it goes into the hippocampus that I mentioned earlier, mm. where the child can essentially create a visual and mental script of what to expect. Mm-hmm. Why I actually encourage, especially for parents of younger kids, why I encourage them to be more creative, either in making something up or reading a book that they have is that it's even more memorable, especially for young kids. So I might tell a story about once upon a time, what do I have nearby here? Once upon a time, how's this for a prop that I didn't expect? You know, Mr. and Mrs. Giraffe were about to get married. And when they got married, all of the other creatures came to attend their wedding. Mm. And do you know that there was a little elephant who really wanted to trumpet But, you know, and you can go on. It doesn't have to be anything complicated. But here's the thing. This actually takes us into the next type of storytelling. It's in the moment storytelling. Let's pretend that you're now at that family wedding with the child and the child forgets and they start singing in the middle of the wedding. You can lean over and say, remember the giraffe and elephant story. Mm. And then the child has that anchor Oh, right. I'm supposed to be quiet. But it's non-punitive. It's non-shaming. And Mm. it is so easily accessible for the child that all we have to do is whisper a couple of words, Mm -hmm. but not get into a potential power struggle in the middle of this wedding of, you have to be quiet. I don't want to be quiet. But no, you have to be. And next thing you know, you have a screaming child. It's much more peaceful Mm. if we can bring it back to something that we have prepared them for ahead of time. Right. So as I mentioned, you know, then we have in the moment storytelling, sometimes things just come up, like we didn't think to tell the story ahead of time. And now we're in the wedding, you know, Mm -hmm. now we're someplace where the child is behaving in a way that might not be optimal. Well, we can still do this in the moment. So I'm just going to continue with the wedding example. I don't know why weddings on the brain, but I do. Let's say in this case, that the parent, instead of leaning over and saying, you have to be quiet and getting into that power struggle situation, the parent leans over and says, let's pretend to be mice for a minute. Let's be so, so quiet like mice. And then maybe you bring your fingers into it and you pretend mm-hmm. to you know, crawl around on your, on your lap or your child's lap or something. Mm-hmm. You find a way to use playful parenting. Basically, in the moment, story t- teaching is my code word for playful parenting. But you find a way to engage the child in their natural language of play because that, number one, gets their attention. Number two, keeps their attention. Mm. And number three, as I mentioned, is non-shaming and non-punitive when we take a lighthearted approach to meeting them right where they are. 
And then finally, there's retroactive storytelling. Something has happened that was not ideal. Or perhaps it worked perfectly and you want it to be repeatable in the future. Instead of simply saying, oh, that was a mess and moving on with the day, you talk about it. Mm. You might talk about the details in real life terms. Hey, you had such a great day at school. I noticed that you were able to keep your hands to yourself today. And did you notice how well the other students responded to you keeping your hands to yourself? I bet that felt really good to you. Mm. And I bet it felt good to them too. And you start to reinforce what went well. Mm. And again, you can do this through a story too, especially if it's a younger child. Did you know that, you know, the giraffe was, you know, made sure not to trample on anybody today. You can still make it mm. fun if you want. Not to hit, not to hit. Like sometimes they have these problems with like kids hitting other kids or, uh, you know, like it's natural things that children will do naturally. So to have a way to deal with uh, with these behaviors and teach them something instead of like uh, shaming them for just being who they are, you know, acting out their feelings or needs, whatever. I love that. Thank you. Yeah. And we can use this retroactive storytelling in a whole lot of different ways too. Mm. you know, not only situations like that, you know, those that I just described, it can also be, as I mentioned, the stories for healing. Mm. Let's take that example you shared with me. Let's say that the parent didn't know that that teacher was old school. And all of a sudden you have a four-year-old who comes home crying, says, my teacher told me I was bad. Mm. And they, they put a red card in my behavior chart. Oh my and God you know, like all these things that make us cringe yeah. in conscious parenting. But suddenly you are a parent who's like, what do I do with this? You can create stories for healing mm. so that as I the child doesn't need to internalize the message that they heard. Okay, mm. I heard that I was bad. But rather than having that sink down into my soul about who I am, mm. instead I can say there's something I can do with this information mm. and I can make it emotionally safer so that I can learn from this interaction as opposed to making it my reality. So stories for healing, retroactive storytelling is an incredibly powerful tool. And even adults do things like this. Many of us journal, for example. Right. Learn about our day, you know, sometimes it might be at the end of the day, you go talk to your husband or I go talk to my husband about, oh, you're not going to believe what happened today. That is all storytelling. Mm -hmm. And we're doing or its therapeutic benefits. And when we can start doing this with children from a very young age, although it's never too late to start, our kids don't have to carry around all the tough stuff in the world that they see here and experience today. Right, right. Yeah, I love that. So you can use that storytelling with teenagers, for example, and older kids. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, it never expires. You can use it for adults. I will be very transparent and say most of the examples that I share in Peaceful Discipline are geared towards younger children, because ideally, that's when we want to be starting these things. Right. But if you listening to this later are the parent or caregiver of an older child, you can still read the book and instead translate, okay, well, hmm, my 15-year-old might not want a story about a giraffe, but there's still, you know, the core message absolutely yeah. supplies and you can, you know, you can translate it however you need to, right. to make it apply to your own parenting. Yeah, I think it does work with teenagers, especially those teenagers who are not ready to talk about their emotions and their feelings directly. 
I have, you know, a child, my older son, he can talk about his feelings all day long, transparently and like with all the details. But my daughter doesn't. She does not. Uh, she doesn't feel comfortable bringing her very private feelings into uh, words, you know, and we've been working on our connection relationship and she is, she does share a lot with me, but it's, it doesn't always come naturally to her. So I feel like stories are a great way for, to connect with her and to talk about these things, you know, not so directly without having to bring uh, all the hard things into the open. So I love that. I love the, and I think it makes it more accessible to parenting, doing this work through storytelling rather than like thinking of strategies or do this first and this first and that, you know, second. It's, it's, it feels more organic. So I'm really looking forward to reading the book and I feel like um, I'll be recommending it to everybody. Definitely. Oh, thank you so much. And you're right. You know, you you just hit the nail on the head. We want to make it feel emotionally safe to our children. So for the parent of a teen who's out there, well, how can I reconnect? How can I, you know, how can I tell them that I love them and I want to have a better relationship with them? Yes, you can do that. But it might start with, you know what, when I was 15, I had a really tricky relationship with my mom. Mm -hmm. I had a hard time opening up to her. Can I tell you a little bit about that? And then you don't make it about the child at all. You simply talk right. about your relationship right. with your mom. That is a story for healing. So I want to. I love that. I love that so much. Oh, thank you. Oh, it's accessible. And we never stop using stories. As long as we have a brain, our brains create and crave stories. Wonderful. Uh, one more question. Um, do you have any. Uh, strategies for sibling fighting like how do you address um do, can you use storytelling or peaceful discipline when addressing uh sibling rivalry or fighting because that seems to be one of the themes that comes a lot <laughs> with the parents yeah. that I work with absolutely yep in fact I knowing that I even have a story specifically about you know aggression against a sibling and that sort of thing in right. here so yeah, it's very, very common and I want to normalize that. One of the biggest tips that I can give when it comes to sibling rivalry or sibling fighting is oftentimes our kids in that moment will lack emotional safety because mm. they are wondering who is my parent going to side with, my sibling or me? Who is mm. going to get Who's going to get emotional support, whatever. And it can actually exacerbate those feelings of sibling discord and rivalry because it feels like a competition to them. Right. So for the parent, I've got a big section in the book about co-regulation. Well, co-regulating as a group is often the very best thing we can do when we see siblings having a clash of some sort. So instead of, let's say you walk into a room and I'll make it really um, dramatic here. You walk into a room as you see your daughter slap your son. And of course, your reaction might be, why did you just do that? That's violent. That's whatever. So oftentimes, the children are immediately going to look to you to say, well, he started it. No, she started it. And look, right. she slapped me and whatever. That's where the competition is coming up. If we can walk into the room knowing that we have, and I talk about the science of this too in the book, we've got about six seconds to keep our brain online. So it's a very brief window before we wow. flip out. If we can stop and say, 
oh, it looks like something really hard just happened here. Mm. But that's a neutral statement. That's not what did you do? Right. Did you cause this? Whatever. But if we can say, oh, it looks like something really hard just happened here. Okay, everybody, let's go outside together. Grab your shoes. We're going outside for five minutes. And you get outside and you simply, maybe you kick a ball around. Maybe you sit on the porch. Maybe you say, all right, everybody, we are going to sit and look at nature. We're going to look at that tree. Maybe we'll say a quick prayer or a meditation. We're going to find some way where we do group co-regulation, everybody's nervous system, get everybody out of fight or flight mode and instead into a place where they feel a little bit safer. Give it a few minutes. When people are regulated, yourself included, then you can say, you know what? It looks like there was something really hard going on Mm. inside. I want to make sure that everybody has a chance to talk and nobody is right or wrong. In conflict, it always takes two. So I want to make sure that I can support both of you because you are both worthy of love and kindness and compassion. So let's talk about what happened and what you are needing right now. And that feels so much different from you go to your room, you don't hit your brother ever again. It's a totally different mindset. It is. It is. Because at that moment, the parents feel like, well, I have to stand up for the child that got hit or, you know, the the victim here. And I have to do something with the child that was the aggressor. But what you're doing is totally different. You're giving them space to calm down and them having the children reflect on what actually happened and then come up with the resolution themselves, which is very different from being handed um, the punishment or the resolution. Gosh, I love that. I can't, cannot wait to get your book here and start reading it. And I will be, um, I feel like I need to get a few copies and give (laughs) and hand it to parents because it does sound very um, practical, you know, the very practical and very, I can't think of the word, but very accessible to parents. So I I love that the way that you just described the sibling fighting and responding to it is just perfect. Thank you so much, Sarah. I don't want to keep you any longer. Thank you so much for taking the time and for writing the book, which I feel like is so much needed right now. Is there anything uh, like final words that you would love to parents to know? or a final message to to parents? Sure, yeah. Um, Two things come to mind. One is compassion and grace to all of you as the adults too, because many of us have a lot of, you know, mom guilt is a very real thing. Mm. And shame for how we have parented in the past is a very real thing. And I want to remind you that you also are worthy of love and compassion and forgiveness. We all do the best we can with the information we have at the time. So if you have parented imperfectly, me too. So be gentle with yourself because you also deserve that compassion. And I sincerely hope that this book supports you and that you don't feel judged in any way because I'm right there along with you. So all the love and grace to you. And secondly, um, you know, I'm, as I mentioned, I'm a real mama here too. So if you need specific support, you're always welcome to contact me. And if there is something that I can do in the form of a blog post, social media, something, whatever, uh, my website is dandelionseeds.com with 
with a hyphen dandelion hyphen seeds.com. I'm dandelion seeds positive parenting on all of the social media except for Instagram, or I'm dandelion seeds positive living because the word parenting wouldn't fit. But you're welcome to reach out, and I'd be glad to support you in whatever way that I can. So, love to everyone. Oh, thank you so much. I will be, I will include the website and all the uh, links that you mentioned. Um, and I would really encourage everyone to grab a copy of your book, you know, whether you order it in physical form or you get the Kindle version coming out in January or the audiobook. And I saw that your book is actually endorsed by Tina Bryson, and who is the co-author with uh, Dr. Dan Siegel on many of his parenting books, and also Mona Dilla Hook, who's, you know, she is doing amazing work there. So that is such a, a great endorsement for your book. So we know that your book is amazing. And all the tips that you shared here, um, I remember the hug process for the parents, and also the um, all the tips about dealing with all school teachers, with sibling fighting, and also all the different types of storytelling. So I can't wait to share this interview with uh, my community and the parents that I work with. Thank you so much, Sarah. And uh, it's been great having you and chatting with you here. And I hope that we get to talk more soon. I agree. Thank you, Mia. You are an incredible gift. I appreciate you. All right.